Hi, yogis. How's it going? Welcome to the Urban Yogi Podcast. I was listening to Aubrey Marcus's podcast. He's the owner of On It, and uh, I really, I really am inspired by him, and I look up to him. And I noticed that his podcast was super simple. He didn't have much music. In fact, it was just him and a microphone and his guest. So I thought I'll do that for a little bit, just to keep it simple and enable me to get more podcasts out to you faster. The editing process is usually quite uh, time-consuming, so I think this will just make it a little bit easier on me, so that I can interview more people and and get the message out sooner so we had becca zagani on uh this past week and she is freaking amazing uh becca and i led a men's group facilitation uh, global call uh, for about 80 men the other week and uh, we spoke about owning your sexual energy uh, becca zagani is a world famous author uh, she lives in ecuador she is a tantrika and she has an amazing double volume book series out called Venus and Her Lover. And I was listening to the audiobook of it uh, over the last few weeks. I got it from Audible and it was super inspiring. And it just made me feel like I was not alone on my path of helping to liberate men uh, from sexual shame and help men and myself reconnect to our root. Uh, there's so much wounding and trauma uh, in the roots and crown chakras of men and women these days and I can really recommend the work of Becca Zagani in helping to heal that. I first met her when I was teaching naked men's yoga and sexual kung fu in Hollywood at the Infinite Man Summit uh, that was created by Sasha Day Game. About 50 straight guys came and we got naked and we did some awesome yoga and then Becca took the stage and she spoke about the dominator system how we can fall into these roles that keep us down and how to get out of them. Uh, we spoke more in depth about the Dominator system during this interview, uh, which was released about uh, two months ago on YouTube, but I wanted to release it globally here on the podcast platforms. So I just hope you really, I really hope you enjoy uh, my interview with Becca and please do check out her work at venusandherlover.com. Welcome to the Urban Yogi Podcast. I am in LA with my new friend, Becca. Becca is a beautiful healer, and she was one of the main speakers at the Infinite Man Summit this past weekend in North Hollywood. And she facilitated probably the most beautiful ecstatic dance. Is that what you call it, ecstatic yeah, dance? Yeah, ecstatic dance. That I've ever experienced. And um, I just wanted to talk to her about what she does. From my understanding, you live most of the year in Ecuador. Ecuador. That's right. Wow. That's right. What's it like down there, living there? It's uh, pretty clean, actually. Pretty clean cool. water, pretty really? clean air, clean food. And uh, where I live in particular, and it's where Sasha Degame also spends a lot of his time, mm. it's an international community, and we're really working to build a new world there. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And what is it about Ecuador that makes it so pure and clean? Like, is, is there a certain frequency there that's been held for a while? Well, that's an interesting question. I live in the Andes, and it could be argued that that, was, that is, some say the Kundalini of the Earth has changed from the Himalayas mm -hmm. to the Andes, and maybe that's so. Um, but also, Ecuador's uh, just slower in the modernization path. Oh, okay. Which is the pollution path, the sickness path, the, mm. you know, when when it's 
and I'm hoping in Ecuador, luckily it still has indigenous roots, very oh, connected nice. with its indigenous people. So uh, that earth wisdom is still alive and mm -hmm. hopefully we'll be able to mitigate the, um, the headlong plunge toward modernization and progress. Right. Do you think that the solution for uh, reversing that and bringing it back to a world that's a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more embodied, a little bit more loving would be, um, do you believe in the idea that it's the greatest way to help the world is to stop trying to help the world? And this is from David R. Hawkins. Uh, you could spend the rest of your life meditating in a cave. And if you were working on yourself and it's really the frequency that you're your psyche, body, minds uh, gives off that creates positive change. Would you agree with that? To a certain extent, and to answer mm -hmm. that, I'd really like to go into a tantric perspective. Cool. Um, tantra is my spiritual path. Nice. So the the thing in in spirituality or religions, we have uh, two main camps. Mm -hmm. One is the ascending path, which says uh, this world is corrupt. Uh, you know, the body is sinful, uh, this is an illusion, like the Buddhists say, but, you know, basically like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, all point heavenward. It's like, okay, we just have to transcend this world or do good works so we get our ticket to heaven mm -hmm. and then we're in heaven and, or we're in emptiness and we're out of the illusion and we are who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you do practices like meditating in a cave and so forth to have that vibration so you can ascend. Right. Then there's the descending path, religious uh, orientations, which say, wait, no, this is the earth. The earth is what's real. And for example, indigenous people honor very much Pachamama or Mother Gaia, Mother Earth, or scientism. If you take it like a religion, it's like, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So it's very earth-based. Right. So that's ascending and descending. And then there's the non-dual paths, mm. which are essentially the mystical traditions of most religions, mm. um, like the Sufis or the, the Hebrew tradition, those that follow the Kabbalah, or Tantra. Tantra is a non-dual path. And it says, mm. first you must ascend. Yes, do those meditation practices. Yes, know that this world is an illusion. And then when you when you can transcend this world, you get pulled back in because of compassion. Mm. Like, but wait, there's still so much suffering. So I want to descend, come back to earth with my ascended awareness. Mm. So yes, meditate in a cave and then go work in a soup kitchen. Mm. So that's my um, pre preferred spiritual orientation mm -hmm. and that's why I work in community activism that's why I've written a book that's why I'm very hands-on yeah. in my healing work because I do those practices that remind me that I'm just playing here and shit there's a whole bunch of suffering mm -hmm. so I want to do what I can to not only alleviate suffering but move us into pleasure and joy I love that and that that resonates with the kundalini path kundalini yoga in that it's a householder's yoga. It's meant for yogis who want to still participate and serve within society instead of, you know, moving up and living in the cave for the rest of their lives. So uh, that really resonates with me. 
yeah, and I really feel called to, I want to connect and I want to have a relationship and maybe one day I want to have kids and, and this and that and have a business and keep cultivating my music career and stuff. So that, does, that definitely, that tantric path resonates with me. And uh, I think that's why I like to get up early and do my, my kundalini practice in the morning, chant some spiritual mantras and move my body and breathe in such a way where I feel more connected to the, the um, spiritual realms and then bring that down into my body. Well, one thing I notice hanging with you is you are very embodied. Oh, thank and you. And I love that. Thank you. Uh, because so many of us are inculcated with shame. Mm. And I notice you you don't have any. <laughs> Did that come naturally or you had to work on that? I think I had to work on it. And the practices of Kundalini Yoga are really good for, and breath work, as you're such a great breath work facilitator. I heard from your session yesterday that was stellar. Um, helping to get out of story and then feel the feelings to process them, uh, especially breath work. I have a great teacher named Edward Dangerfield and anytime I was in circle with him and breathing and coming up into my head, he'd say, drop the stories and feel. Mm -hmm. If you wanna feel mm -hmm. better, you have to get better at feeling. That's right. And so that kind of coincides with my other spiritual teacher, Abraham, channeled by Esther Hicks. Yeah. If you, um, what does she say? Uh, well, she keeps saying nothing is more important than that you feel good, you know? And the better you feel, the more you allow. And in this society, it's the opposite. It's the more you do and the more money you make, the more you're worth and the more love you're worthy of receiving. But we know that's not true. That's just a Piscean construction that no longer works, nor did it ever really work. That's right. And set from 2012 onwards, we're now entering into the Aquarian age, which is about self-approval and self-acceptance. And so that's, I think it's been a journey for me and Kundalini yoga and breath work has helped. And also realizing that I don't have to get my, I don't have to just rely on my biological family. I can cultivate my own spiritual chosen family. And then I can go back into bi biological family feeling more supported because we're tribe creatures and everything from our so-called immune system to the way we digest food so the way our skin looks is affected by whether or not we feel like we belong to a tribe. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. I learned that from another mentor, Dr. Christian Northrup, uh, who's done a lot of work in the realms of women's wellness mm -hmm. and women's mm -hmm. wisdom. And so I just, I think I just realized that, oh my gosh, I can feel so much better when I'm not doing cocaine, which was really just fentanyl and baby powder. I can feel so much better when I'm not trying to change my father, who's a medical doctor, psychiatrist, to my point of view, and I can just love him for who he is. Wow, I have so much energy to be the Michael Buble of yoga. Mm -hmm. And that's so much more fun than trying to convince anybody of anything. So that's, I think that's, that's how I'm letting go of shame, is redirecting the energy towards healing, uh, getting out of my mind more often, and really just setting an intention every day to uh, do what I love, because when I do what I love, it tends to help other people too. And that's an example of how <clears throat> this uh, non-dual path, if you do focus on self-healing uh -huh. and you do become the best person you can be, yeah. you do radiate out an entirely different vibe than what's being broadcast by what I, I, I use the term the dominator system. Yes. Some people use the word the patriarchy. I prefer the word dominator system because it's being held up by men and women 
and children, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, and so, there'll be more on that in one second. We're just going to cut this because I realize this is not plugged in. It's still recorded everything. <laughs> but to get even better sound quality, <laughs> check in for part two. The details. Get <laughs> details to come. So we're back at the Urban Yogi podcast with part two. Wait, our heads are cut off. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> with my lovely friend Becca and... How do you pronounce your last name? Sagani. Sagani. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. My name is an exercise in being able to sound out. You learned that in first grade. Actually. Nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. And what you were talking about was really potent. The, uh, the concept of the dominator system. Tell us more about that. Yes. Um, I'm a little different in that I, I'm sometimes called a Tantra educator. Yes, I do educate about Tantra. But mm. I, I, and I put it in a big context like how this tantric perspective can change the world. Mm -hmm. And it involves us, of course, changing ourselves. And it's important to understand what big nest we have been placed in. Right. And this big nest is a control system. Right. It uh, is the dominator system, which is based on force or the threat of force. Mm -hmm. And it's a pyramid shape and there's different compartmentalized levels. And the, the goal is that those on the top laud over those on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And it's all, all the way, all the levels. And of course, the ones at the top suck up the energy from those on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Well, most of you watching this podcast, ourselves included, would be considered by the elites as the bottom rungs of the pyramid. Right. And the way they keep us in line is through programming. So one of the big programs is shame, for example. Mm. Body shame, which says, I'm not okay. And any of us that have done any kind of psychotherapy or uh, self-improvement know that the, one of the mm. first things we hit up against is shame. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, people are judging me, and then that goes hand in hand in relationship with guilt yes which says not only am I not okay but what I did is not okay so I have sinned I've done something wrong I'm going to be punished and if you were setting up a plantation with the slaves on the plantation you want to keep them there you'd want to instill ideas in their own heads so that they're they are their own jailers so we are the ones that are keeping us on the plantation by saying, I, I'm weak, I don't have the strength to bust out of that bottom rung, mm -hmm. I, um, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I, you know, I don't have anyone who's going to like me. All of these are programs. Right. We're not allowed to express our emotions. Exactly. The EQ versus the IQ. Mm. And the EQ is the warning system. Mm. Because emotional quotient. Yeah, the emotional quotient. Mm. Uh, so if you have a high EQ, that means you can, first of all, identify your emotions, and second of all, interpret them. So if I'm feeling frustrated or angry, then I need to, that's like the red light flashing within my inner being saying, whoa, either boundaries have been crossed or you're off course. And so we get that information and we can course correct. Mm -hmm. But we're taught to not validate our own emotions, right. to swallow them, to have someone else tell us, hey, stuff it, or don't let that get in the way of what you're doing, 
whatever. Mm. And while it's better that the emotions don't completely derail us, mm. I mean, that would be preferable, um, it's important for us to know what they're telling us. And that's yeah. a message that Abraham brings. Totally. And even just permission to express them in a safe container like breathwork. When I, the first few sessions, I was screaming and I almost was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be this loud. Like, I don't want to disrupt anybody else in the circle. And during the sharing after one of my first sessions, this woman, she was around your age. She was a mother. She, she put up her hand. She said, you. And I was like, oh, shit, is she mad at me? She's like, you screaming like that was really helpful for me because it, it helped me process trauma from when I was having my babies in the hospital and I wanted to scream, but I didn't because I didn't want to offend anybody. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or oh I was being God. sexually this or that, and I wanted to get out or scream, but I just didn't didn't really go with my emotions. So I was like, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm thank you for sharing that because I I didn't know if it was appropriate or not. And then the facilitator said, no, in, in our style of breath work, really want to give permission to, permission to people to authentically express. Just let this plane crash go by. Not plane crash. Plane go by. <laughs> it sounded so low. It's kind of it's crashing so, our crash, sound. Crashing down. Anyway. Crashing sound. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so yeah, it just was like um, it was this realization that part of human health is permission to express one's emotions, and that you know they've done studies on Buddhist Tibetan monks, for example, and they have higher levels of diabetes than the general population. And from a very young age, these Tibetan monks, the, the Chinese have raped and pillaged their villages, and but they're taught to go right to loving kindness, right to meta compassion right away, and to not feel angry, to bypass their anger. Mm. And they're actually taught to really just neglect the body to a certain degree, because the goal is to attain Buddhahood right, as fast as possible. Ascending path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's these higher rates of diabetes. So uh, Dr. Northrup was talking about this researcher, I can't remember his name, whose who's hypothesis is that. Um, when you're constantly feeling loving compassion and bypassing your rage, it releases, uh, releases large amounts of endorphins into the bloodstream, which affect negatively the reuptake of glucose. Hmm. And so these monks are literally sugarcoating their rage, which is leading to ill health in their bodies. And so I love Kundalini yoga because there are Koreas where you get mad and you 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 punch and you and I like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for that reason mm -hmm. too because I can let out my anger and my rage, and uh, I think that's a huge part of of being a balanced human is feeling the rage and expressing it in a safe way that's not hurting yourself or anybody else, and then going to loving kindness. Yes, and that's why there's such high rate of. Um, what are they called, the mood-altering prescription drugs, antidepressants, mm. because if you're at all conscious in this world, you should be pissed off. I mean, you should be extremely angry about what's been done and being mm. done to our air, for example. Right. Like, we need air to breathe, to our water. We need water mm -hmm. to live, to our food supply, to, and then, from there on, all the way down the line, mm. to our children, to um, what's what's coming across in our entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is enraging, it should be, mm -hmm. and then how to channel that rage into constructive action, mm. uh, which if you're not crippled by shame and guilt and a bunch of the other programs that say that you're uh, worthless and you can't you have, you're powerless and you can't affect any change at all, just stay in your box. Mm -hmm. If you can 
know that all of that is just to keep the slaves on the plantation, then you can move forward and mm. take the power of that rage. We should all be in, enraged about mm. what's going on mm -hmm. to the planet <laughs> and all of us and help that empower us when 5G rolls into our neighborhood and say, no, mm -hmm. no, not doing it. To fluoride in the water supply, mm -hmm. to say, nope, absolutely not. We are not uh, going to permit that anymore, and so forth. I mean, like, there's a mm -hmm. 10,000 examples that we could use. And that's like where the internet's a double-edged sword, because while there's a lot of censorship happening and negative things and addiction of porn and stuff, the internet can also connect us to our tribe so that we can mobilize in productive ways, not to push against unwanted, but to promote what we love and, and add energy to what we love. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I love it. Tell me a little bit about, um, you're telling me the story of when you're living in Ecuador and the big ships were passing by with the nuclear radioactive materials. Oh, well that was actually when I was living in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And hats off to the Liga Ecologica Puerto Riqueña. Nice. Uh, we did a, we formed a grassroots uh, environmental group. Like anyone who would get enraged and conscious about the environment mm -hmm. would do. Um, and we had many campaigns. We did um, cetacean regulation for Puerto Rico. I and you say satanic rituals. <laughs> I was going to ask you Cetaceans, whales and dolphins. <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you about, at a certain point, your opinion about um, things like voodoo. You know, sometimes I get so mad at, at the people in power. I just think, well, I just want to do voodoo on them. You know, and, and get, you know, revenge. What would you, s I don't want to interrupt your story, but. But you just did. I just did. <laughs> would, have you ever used um, that type of magic to affect change? Yes, or do you I just have. go to love, love, love? No, I have used that kind of magic. And has it been fruitful? Yes, so, I had to best tell a quick story. There was someone who was, uh, okay, I gotta say that when you stand for truth, you get to exercise your courage. And uh, the Tantric Art Project that I did in collaboration with my partner of 23 years really stands for truth about men and women and love and sexuality. And so we have attracted all kinds of resistance. And mm -hmm. one of them was some court cases and- About what? Oh, I, I don't want to get into the details. Yeah. It was just a bunch of bullshit, it was bullshit charges and yada yada, but involving us in court cases having to hire lawyers, which by the way we paid for with art, yay. Yeah. Um, it was getting, it was beginning to wear on me after several months. Mm -hmm. And so I did do a ritual one night in which I took all I, I could feel and sense the malice coming toward us and when I had that pretty clearly envisioning is more than that because could, I could actually feel it palpably and then I could feel what individuals it was coming through and so then I got into a, a more empowered space which for mm -hmm. me ritual is simply symbolic action that turbocharges your intention so I got into that space and then I used a mirror technique and I just turned all the energy back on them right just nice. like this, may you, what you wish for us, return to you 10,000 fold. Mm. And actually, the next day, yes, it was the next day, like less than 10 hours later, 
I get a phone call from one of the people on the adversarial role wanting to agree to what we'd been saying, let's do mediation, let's talk. Wow. But before we had a chance to do that, the main protagonist in that got caught, got busted for a kilo of coke in his <laughs> car. Oh. So then he went to prison. <laughs> so um, that wow. was, I, and some people in town who think I'm a witch were saying, you did that to him. I'm like, no, all I did was send back to him what he was sending to us. Right, right. And that's... Because I've heard in a book, oh, send it back in the form of healing love to help them deal with, ever, with whatever issues they have. So in a way, like, is it okay to... You weren't being malicious, you were just being defensive. So it's okay to do that. Um, you don't have to send love and light back, you just send that energy back. But I also send it with love and light. The nice. whole time I was saying, may this person wake up. That's good. Right? I was sending it with love and light. However, I was also saying, karma, you're an immutable law of the universe. So I'm, I don't have to ask karma to do its thing. Right. I just am say I'm just enforcing or reinforcing what would be a natural process. That right. what was coming at me could go back to, to that person. I see. Cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. It's empowered. Thanks. So meanwhile, back in the Caribbean, I used to live in the Caribbean and mm. we worked as an environmental group and mm. we were, um, we did, we worked with Greenpeace in collaboration with Greenpeace and we did stop nuclear waste shipments from passing in front of us. Unfortunately, they just rerouted. Mm. But um, it was very empowering to realize that this grassroots group, of course, we allied with a powerful international environmental organization. Greenpeace? Yes. That we, we could affect change. And obviously, we, we stopped those nuclear shipments from going in front in the straits that were right in front of my house. But if all the islands had done that, then they would have a logistics problem hmm. of what to do with nuclear waste, which actually there's no solution. So <laughs> at least one that is useful in less than 10,000 years. Wow. And so how did you uh, affect that change? You said there was some meditation group, group oh, here yeah, involved? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this was a secret. We had a secret, a clandestine meditation committee because, you know, hmm. community groups work by committee and we had a committee for protecting sea life and the beaches and a committee for protecting the trees and a committee for recycling and so forth. So we had a, a secret meditation committee and we would meet in a pyramid by the beach and, and focus our intentions on all our campaigns. Nice. And that wasn't hard because we would just envision what it would be like if all the whales and dolphins were happily swimming in the sea and what it would be like if all the trees remained standing. You know, so um, that was the power of focused intent, for sure. I love that. Yeah. What do you think about, we spoke about this with Peter Sage and his, his approach to life is that he's in his own movie, you're in your own movie and you get to choose. So for him, the rainforest fi uh, de deforestation in Brazil does not exist. You know, what would you say about that approach to life, and is it effective? Um, okay, in the big scheme of things, I do believe 
this is a movie, or in my book I talk about Leela, the Hindu concept of play, oh, yeah. you know, that we're just here to play and regain our soul awareness. Hmm. Because in that cosmo cosmology, the idea is that we are all one, and since we have infinite creative powers, we can create everything, even the opposite of everything, by splitting ourselves off, splitting the, the one splits itself off into trees and cockroaches and fish and planets and atoms and quarks and human beings. Mm. Uh, uh, and the everything, the, the 10,000 things as they, as they say. Mm. Um, so, yes, we're all one. Yes, we're all projecting our own movie. I believe that. Mm -hmm. And in 3D, it gets pretty dense and solid and concrete so there I feel more in the that um, yes I'm projecting my movie and to get closer back to reality the true reality of the one not only do I remember more than I'm one mm -hmm. but I co-create with other splintered off pieces of the one and in our synergy mm -hmm. We are remembering, we are once again becoming members of the mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. So, um, oh, I like that. It is an apparent co creation in this world of duality, which is dense and, and clunky and hard to maneuver, but it gets easier and easier mm. the more I sense my own divinity. And then I collaborate with my brother and my sister. And we see reflections of the divine in each other. And then, in a, for example, in a co grassroots community organization, that's multiplied by however many people, 20 or 40 or 80 or 100 or whatever. Yeah. And so now we're really getting a sense that we're all one, enough to convince us beyond the, the uh, difficulties of 3D. Like Albert Einstein said, Reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it's very convincing to us that we're all separate. And so while we are, the way to remember what's true, remember, mm. is to get together with other members and mm. we co-create. So I'm not so much the cowboy attitude of uh, I'm the lone wolf, I'm the lone cowboy. I create my own reality, though that is true, that is mm. true. I put my energy more toward finding people who we can find the same frequency to create action, apparent action, in this apparently physical world to co-create a divinely, more divinely synchronous reality. That's beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy I met you because I feel like you're a soul sister and a great teacher and the way that you interact with men and lead men, especially throughout the weekend that I saw, was just very empowering for them. And you, I can tell you have so much compassion for men because you know that it's the dominator system, it's not the individual that's at fault for you know any so-called shortcomings that men possess. Exactly. And, yeah. So, and hmm. and I, I'm gonna no, jump good. in to take this opportunity to say that uh, what I see happening in the war between the sexes, and my book is, was asking this question, what happened to men and women? What, how did this war between the sexes happen? And if you told me when we started the project 20 years ago 
that the war between the sexes would be where it is now. It's almost a hot war now. I would have said, oh no, that's impossible. How could, you know, we'll be so much more evolved by then. Mm -hmm. But it's really awful the way the genders and the transgenders and the fluid genders, the way all the battle lines have been drawn mm -hmm. and it's us against them, me against you. That's exactly what the dominator system does. The dominator system took over feminism. The dominator system has infiltrated the men's movement. The dominator system has infiltrated the transgender movement by saying, because we're different, we are therefore adversarial. Meaning? We are each other's enemy. Uh, yeah, there seems to be a lot of that. There was a fellow in my men's group, and I was just talking about transgender rights, and. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are transgender, and I, and I know how hard it can be. And he was like, well, you know, you're going to hate this, but when I see a trans person, I just want to throw up in my mouth. It disgusts me. And I was like, well, maybe that's something you need to work on. He's like, need to? If I choose to, I can work on it. And I was like, well, you say your mission is to be like this life coach for all people and be uh, unfuckwithable and trigger-proof. So, you know, <laughs> if this triggers you, maybe it's something you could work on. And he was still very triggered by, by me saying that. And I just said, you know, regardless of what you believe, I hope that we can all agree that regardless of whether you're cisgender or transgender, gay or straight, black or white, that we all should, we all have, we should all feel safe in our bodies and not be scared that somebody's going to just like kill us or like rape us or throw us into a dumpster just for being trans. Exactly. And what is being stoked by the dominator, the minions of the matrix, I call them, because it's the, I mean, the dominator system is a structure, but it has and there are elites at the top, and we can debate about how far up that goes, mm. but uh, the minions of the matrix, the governments, the religions, the financial system, the social system, mm. the all the heads. people working in, in there have been indoctrinated that they must carry out these agendas. Right, and even I would say doctors to a degree. Yeah, the medical right. system, sure. Everyone has been indoctrinated to fear for their own personhood so the war, I mean, it's not just the war between the sexes, it's the, it's the war against humanity, mm. and the main strategy is divide and conquer. Right. Yeah, and I'm not saying all doctors are part of this. It's just, I know because my father's a doctor, if he does not prescribe the appropriate pill as, as dictated by the pharmaceutical industry and the Canadian Medical Association, he will lose his license. So he has to toe the party line if he wants to continue wow. to be part of the system. Wow. You know? So it's just that that's it's not personal. That's just the way it is. Should now that we have a weed whacker, <laughs> should we think about moving? Yeah, let's move. So this is part two of the Urban Yogi podcast with Becca Zagani. And we'll see you in a moment for part three. Satnam. Welcome back to the Urban Yogi episode 50. I just realized it's my 50th episode, so I'm really happy uh, to have Becca on for my 50th. Yeah. Yay. This is part three of our interview, and we are in beautiful, sunny L.A. We moved inside because some weed whackers and planes were flying by. It's sunny, noisy L.A. Sunny, noisy L.A., exactly. Uh, but it's nice to be inside now and just chilling with you. And I'd love to hear more about your beautiful book that you recently wrote, eh? And it's yes. a two-part book from my yes. understanding. Um, in fact, let's just happen to have right here. Yay. Um, it is Venus and Her Lover, Transforming Myths 
sexuality and ourselves. Mm. And because it's uh, really an overview of humanity and what happened to humanity, I couldn't say it all in one volume. And here's volume two. That's thick. <laughs> it's thick. It's, a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff happened between mm. men and women in our history and prehistory which is when the dominator system was installed. I mean, mm. it, this whole question of what happened to men and women led to my understanding mm. of how the dominator system works mm -hmm. and when it, when it was installed. And it, so it's like That's a, a beautiful picture of you, by the way. You're beautiful <laughs> in real life. And this is, you can really see the wisdom and the timelessness through your eyes. Um, but when, when, when did it actually start? Yeah, well, I traced it through mythology and history, you mm. know, referencing archaeology and so forth. Mm -hmm. I took it back to ancient Sumer. Wow. When was that? Well, that's debatable. Archaeologists mm. will say, you know, 5,000 years ago or something like that, though it's probably way, way older. Mm. Uh, but there was a question in archaeology of like why they found radioactive skeletons in Mohenjo-daro in mm. India, or where they found in the Middle East different archaeological excavations, there'd be a layer of green glass. Mm. And you know, archaeologists in the 19th century and early 20th century were questioning green glass, like a volcanic eruption, what happened? Yeah. And it wasn't until the Trinity explosion in the desert of New Mexico in the mid-40s. What's the Trinity explosion? Uh, the first nuclear bomb test above oh. ground. And what they discovered was the desert... Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> we started <a> ding. <laughs> the desert fused, the desert sand fused, and there's a layer of green glass there. Wow. But for archaeologists, that doesn't make sense. A nuclear war in prehistoric humanity, impossible. So you really have to open your mind. And it right. is through myth. If you begin to read uh, myths as history, and there's a part of my book where I have mm. that as a t subtitle, like myth as history, what? Right. Uh, where it talks about the sun gods, which is, by the way, a, almost across the board from ancient Egypt, the sun gods from the Viracochas of the Andean traditions, mm. the sun gods from uh, ancient Sumer, ancient India, they all talk about beings that came from off this world. And in the Sumerian tablets, mm. they name the planet and they name who came and they say they came here to mine gold and they have the whole story. It's, wow. it's as myth and they're considered gods, which if technologically advanced beings came to a planet of less advanced beings, they would look at them like, wow, they can levitate stones, like building the pyramids of Giza. There's this story about slaves with log rollers and brass tools, and that's how they placed like a million stones in the Giza pyramid. That's pretty far-fetched, you know? Right. <laughs> but if you had anti-gravitational devices, you could lift a 200-ton block, which, by the way, we still can't do mm -hmm. with any crane. Mm -hmm. You could just use your anti-gravitational device and say, I'll move it from here to there. Right. Well, people living 100 years ago would think we were idiots if we said, oh, we're flying from Vancouver to L.A. or from here to Bali. Like, that was considered crazy and ludicrous, and now we're doing it. And electricity and, and cell phones, like, w nobody can really explain how that works. So 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> who knows in, what was going on in the then. Mahabharata, it, which is from India? They tell of a war in which the gods were shooting each other using weapons of brilliance mm. in their vimanas, which were flying craft. True. Now this is ancient writing, which if up until recently wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. So apparently there was a nuclear war on mm. Earth, and they say mm. that the biggest blast what is is what happened in what is now Saudi Arabia, mm. uh, and according to the Sumerian tablets, that's where the spaceport was. Mm. So that would make sense to want to cripple transportation. Uh, anyway, among it's a whole big story, which as I'm tracing through my book, you know, I start with Christianity and the Adam and Eve story, but wait, in the uh, Torah, it's uh, more clearly explained, the Elohim created man and woman in our image. Mm. It was a collective, it was a group of people, humanoids. Mm. So the, the hypothesis of extraterrestrials, people from off-planet coming here to mine gold and needing to create a worker race, a slave race, to work in the mines because there was actually, they record, a mutiny was about to happen. Meaning? From their own Anunnaki miners were saying, this work is too hard, we don't like being you know, in the dark, we're done. And so there had to, they needed the gold. They had to go deep for it. What the, did they use it for? There's dispute on this. Zechariah Sitchin said they needed gold to repair their atmosphere on their home planet. Is he an author? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was a Russian um, specialist of ancient civilizations. Mm. And there are some people who dispute some of his details. But, for example, there's a... Uh, website called Zacharias Sitchin was wrong. But when you read it, his hypothesis, not, they're not saying his hypothesis was wrong. They're saying, no, they didn't use gold to repair the atmosphere. They used it for something else. Well, of their okay. own planet? Or of uh, There's some who say they were mining it for monatomic gold for their own longevity oh. because they lived so long. I mean, who knows? who knows why they were mining gold, but apparently, <clears throat> and the mines have been found in South Africa. High-tech underground mines that were carved with laser beams. <laughs> wow. In South Africa. So, uh, where can skeptics read about it? Mm -hmm. where, where, can where, they, where can they read about it? Okay, um, there's a guy named Michael Tellinger. He may be known for his Ubuntu movement in South Africa for a more just society. Mm. But he's, he's the one who found so many of these sites. So just Google Michael Tellinger. Uh, I think one of his books is called Slave Species of God. Mm. But he's putting out information all the time on YouTube, so you can find him there. Zachariah Sitchin was the first guy to interpret the Sumerian tablets literally. Mm. And so his first book was Genesis Revisited. And he uses Bible quotes also to reference, he reinterprets what Genesis, the book of Genesis, says about creation. But the hypothesis is that this, these Anunnaki were here from another planet, mining gold. 
they had miners who were very unhappy, so they, they genetically modified the resident species of Earth. The apes? Yeah, the, they were hominids. The, I, I forget which one. The Neanderthals? It, it, mi it might have been Neanderthal. It might have been... Australopithecus. Yeah, Epigenus. it might be one of them. I forget exactly which one, <clears throat> but whoever was in Africa, and they record all the different experiments that failed. The, you know, they tried many, many times, and they finally came up with splicing their genetics with the local humanoid genetics, <clears throat> and they came up with a smart, you could say, a smart ape, one that could be trained, one that could follow orders, one that could go into the mines and which work. is us. Hmm. Yes. And since there were different experiments and there were different races on the planet, there are different versions of us. Mm. But they've traced, you know, uh, science has traced back, they say there was one mother. There was one Eve, they call her Eve. Mm. In other words, apparently we're, we're one genetic strain. We have different little varieties, but human, the uh, Homo erectus, or the Homo sapien, is, you know, one genetic class. And this myth, if read as history, actually makes sense. Because his, uh, science for years has been looking for the missing link. And the point is, it would never be found if we, if our evolution, we leapfrogged over normal evolution to become this smarter humanoid. Mm. When we when you say there's one mother, that doesn't nullify the theory that there were different experiments done on different species or different uh, races of humans. Um, that doesn't nullify that theory. No, apparently not. Because the one mother, was she alien to this planet or was she local? Alien. Uh, I see. Okay, cool. So there's one sort of, in this paradigm, there's one central alien mother to, yep. to all the different experiments that they did. And I am not saying this is absolutely true. However, it's the hypothesis that makes the most sense to me mm. when I look at all, like, why did ancient societies build pyramids? Mm. Well, it's a resonant chamber. It's an energy device. I heard it was a power plant. It is a power plant. You can do all kinds of things hmm. with, with pyramid energy, which has been scientifically proven. Look into all the research the Russians did, modern research about pyramid energy. So this more advanced race had much higher technology. Hmm. There are debates about whether they were benevolent or malevolent toward humans. And the myth says there was a rivalry between two brothers, Enki and Enlil. And Enki was actually the genetic engineer in, who created humans. And so he has this soft spot in his heart. He loves humans. And he mm -hmm. wanted to teach humans uh, and let them develop. And his uh, son, I think Ningashida, was one of the founders of the mystery schools of ancient Egypt that were teaching humans sacred geometry, basic sciences, and developing our brains. Hmm. Now, Enlil was the other brother. He was apparently the one in charge of the whole Earth mission. And for him, hey, these are just slaves. 
And he was trying to follow their directive to not uh, overly impact a planet they were visiting. And all of a sudden, they do the ex experiment in a test tube, and it escapes out of the laboratory, so to speak, because humans didn't just stay miners. It's like, hey, we've got these humans. We can have them work on the agricultural opera operations. So now we've got agricultural operations in Mesopotamia, mining in South Africa, later mining in the Andes. And in fact, the, the story of the Viracocha says they brought metallurgy. It was one of the first arts, how to smelt metals. Huh. So you mine gold and you melt it and you mix it with other things. And, you know, so there's a, when you get in, when you dive down this rabbit hole, there's a lot mm. of evidence. So I'm investigating, like, what happened to men and women? How did this happen? How did the dominator system come into being? And then I start recovering my own memories hmm. until I actually, because I've had flashes of memories. Like a past lives? Or? Yes, a past life. Apparently my first past life, my first life on this planet. And I was there. As one of the slaves? As like one of the humanoid uh, alien hybrids? I slaves? was probably a hybrid, hmm. a human alien hybrid, because they also made love with one another and had kids. <laughs> The aliens made love with the the humanoid human. aliens that they created. Yeah. So it all gets complex. It's not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's different bloodlines, and that's why. So like the mystery schools in Egypt got out of the hands of the benevolent sun. And went into the hands of a fellow named Marduk, who won the nuclear war. Hmm. And he was a megalomaniac. So he takes over the mystery schools and says, "Hey, we only want pure bloodlines, becoming the priesthood." So now we've, we're starting the, the, um, the structure of the dominator system based on a pyramid mm -hmm. that the, uh, only the priesthood could learn the magic and the, it's not magic, I mean, how the high technology and sacred geometry and how you, you know, energy medicine and all this stuff. Mm. So that... After that war, Marduk, who does not have humans' best interests in mind, is got more power. And when I talk about bloodlines, does that ring a bell? The royal families mm -hmm. are all fanatic about bloodlines. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just Anunnaki. The, and so was Hitler. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the DNA has a greater capacity for working with light. Certain bloodlines? Or... That's what they believe. I mean, many of us believe that now since 2012, we're aligned with the galactic center. We're taking on more photon energy. Mm -hmm. Our DNA is being activated by photonic energy, by light. Mm -hmm. And so we can reconstruct ourselves because our DNA is, is firing. They essentially unhinged. To say we're a couple cans short of a six pack is exactly right. We have two strands of DNA, but there's all this junk DNA like nature would create junk DNA. It's the other, I think it's six strands. I think we originally, I think we have eight strands, but six are unplugged. Hmm. So light, more light coming onto the planet now means we can use light to re-hook up our DNA. Hmm. And so the controllers of the dominator system don't want that because they and their DNA already have a greater capacity. Hmm. 
so they can keep giving us a snow job, keep telling us that we're worthless and we aren't powerful and they can keep feeding us all the pablum and dumbing down that they do because they know that we're, we're dumber by our DNA. But with those of us working with light, we're making quantum leaps. Right. So they want to squash the awakening happening now because we'll have as much power as they do. In fact, we do. And they don't want that because they want to keep... Is it because in a weird way they're actually lower consciousness? Because yes. Yeah. They may that. they may have access to 4D, 5D. Most of us are stuck in 4D, though if you meditate, you know about transcending time and space. So, so all of us that meditate know about 4D and 5D to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but duality, as I understand, it goes up to about 60. So that means you can have so-called good and evil, or let's call it service to self and service to others. So you can be a service to self being. And that is evil or good? Service to self is just what it is. It means you don't care about rolling over other people. Like you will do it? Yeah. Oh, I see. Right, right, right. Service to self. Selfish. Right. Versus service to, to we and yes. seeing yourself in others. Right. right. Apparently, that dual, duality split holds for a couple dimensions. Hmm. So you can have what you would call evil or service to self beings with these higher capacities hmm. just because they have more dna and more information doesn't mean that their ethics include the well-being of others that's right i see especially if you bring in uh, draco reptilian beings mm -hmm. who are literally cold-blooded mm -hmm. totally up in their heads like you know mr spock only uh, reptoid then then you don't care about humans. Right. You literally will have them for lunch, mm -hmm. right? Who cares? Mm -hmm. they're, they're these, you know, lower species whose DNA is unhinged, unhooked. So it's kind of like how we might look at cows. Meat eaters might look at cows. Right. We're just going to pen them on planet Earth, have them produce power and energy and goods and services and products and do all that for us because and we have a right to lord over them because we're smarter and better have you heard the theory that like these beings or certain beings are using humans sexual energy and that there are certain centers that they've built on earth or that are on earth that kind of suck the sexual energy of, of people have you heard about anything about that i haven't heard about the centers where that happens but my work is very much about that hmm. my work is saying get a hold of your sexual energy mm. because if you don't have a hold of it mm. somebody else does mm. and why are we told to stay out of the root chakra why do we have body shame why do we not want to touch our genitals why well first of all probably because many of us have been traumatized there mm. why, why do i get pushed back when i post images of me sunning my butthole exactly you know promoting the benefits of getting your balls in the sun a lot of people are like, that's awesome. And a lot of people are like, Ugh, that's disgusting. Really? Seriously? Yes. Stay out of those lower chakras is the message because it's bad, it's wrong, and you will be punished. Mm -hmm. Why would that be beneficial to anyone? Well, let's see. If I wanted to keep the slaves on the plantation and the way that they could fire up their DNA is to use kundalini energy, which is 
based at the root, literally based at the root chakra. Like in the ovaries and the testicles. Exactly. And the prostate. And the, toward the perineum. The whole, Coxygeal that whole, body. yes, exactly. The womb space, the pelvic bowl is uh, where this energy is stoked. And so. Like this image here of this woman yeah. with her. The womb Enter, space. space. Yay. Yay. Uh, so uh, all of our societal programming is stay out of there. Right. Why? Because if we awaken the Kundalini and we get this energy flowing and we with breath, with visualization, have, we can direct it. We can use it to empower our visions. Well, we may not, might not stay on the plantation we might not stay in the lower rungs of the dominator pyramid. Right, which are um, victimized, victim and... So there's something called the uh, drama triangle, which is victim, dominator, savior. And we are trained, we are programmed mm -hmm. to just keep looping with those energetics in our relationships. It's mm -hmm. all based on disempowerment, victimization shame guilt the whole the whole thing right so it's almost like the the humans who take on the dominator role within that low vibing pyramid are kind of mimicking the powers that be in a weird way except the no the mm -hmm. powers that be know that that's a game i mean maybe they still play it but it's a disempowering game yeah and they are no they're more into power they I want see. us to play the disempowerment game right 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 to keep us busy doing doing things that aren't productive yeah yeah keeping the energy low that's right yeah so i always ask my my student my guests this question and i think i've started to come to an understanding through your work and having different guests on as to the answer but I always ask, where do you think homophobia came from? Because according to my research, it hasn't always existed. For example, in ancient Greece, men would often take on wives, but when they went to battle, it was totally fine for them to be intimate sexually with each other because they believed that that promoted better social bonding, releasing oxytocin in their systems so that if one was in danger on the battlefield, the other would be more apt to protect them. Yes. Um, well, and... Homosexuality is natural in nature. It mm -hmm. usually runs about, what, 10% in all species. Yeah, and, and at different times. Like science said in the, in the 70s and 80s that there were only 150 species that were exhibiting homosexual behavior, and now it's gone up to 15,000. Yeah, I, it's normal in nature. It's, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a survival mechanism because <clears throat> homo, homosexuality tends to engender more empathy i've also read that like if you if you are more on the queer side you yes. become more empathic yes hmm. yes which any species needs like right. any family i should say any family structure like say you back mm -hmm. in the day you had 12 kids it would be helpful if you had a homosexual kid because that would be like the bridge builder and the yes and i was uh studying uh sort of um, First Nations cultures in Canada and most of them had a very specific societal place for people who we would call queer uh, as the shamans and the healers mm -hmm. and I heard that oftentimes the alpha males would either they would take on many wives and many many children and then all the other ones would be the betas and they would often be gay but but what I what I wanted to touch on is that these alpha males when their wives were having their periods they were the women were considered too powerful to interact with and so the women would all go 
and be by themselves. In the red and, tent. Yes, in the red tent. And then the alpha male would go to the queer shaman for healing, which involved invariably a sensual or a sexual healing. Yes, the Berdach. Uh, was the name, or now they call them two spirits, were right, considered... Right, because was the French name, yeah. which meant prostitute, that yeah. the Westerners put onto the Right, so not two the spirit. best name. Two-spirit is a, is a much more appropriate name, and they were considered chosen by the Great Spirit to embody both. Mm. So it was, that's why they became shamans, because mm -hmm. they were chosen by the Great Spirit. So this is not the disdain or rejection of homosexuality is not natural in nature, and it's not, I mean, the, the rejection of it's not natural, nor among indigenous earth-connected people. Right, and I was reading that the white men, when they came over to North America, the queer shamans were the first that they killed. That's right. Because they could sense that they were the connection to the tribe's spirituality. That's right. So what better way to control them to take their religious uh, healing figures away from them? And yeah. is that because of the Anunnaki one? Like, why, why did the white... Uh, colonialists uh, want to wipe out the, the, the spirituality. Right, because and, and I... why were they so much more homophobic than the aboriginals? Yeah, and I'm not even sure if this comes from Anunnaki. It might come more through the reptilian line. Um, I think it's more that they needed to supplant their own religion, mm. which is based on domination and based on Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, submissive femininity. And the suppression of the feminine within themselves. Exactly, exactly. And so it's easier to manipulate that. If you just look at it coldly, a society, the basic unit is the family. That's mother, father, child. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we're going to perpetuate a dysfunctional ethos among people, we need to mess up the relationship between father and mother. Hmm. And that is systematically done, and it's done largely through sexual abuse of children. Hmm. I'm sorry to report, but hmm. it's now actually coming out more and more, what's happening with pedophilia and so forth. Is this, because if you traumatize, well look at circumcision. I hmm. mean that's sexually traumatizing males right hmm. out the gate, you know, and three days old. And circumcision is still done in, in many places in the world. So you circumcise the males, they've got a wound at the root. Remember, the goal is to cripple the root Yeah. so that we don't go there. Yeah, so a wound at the second chakra. Well, it's all, first, second, third chakra are all fucked up in our yeah. society. So that's the second chakra, which is the sex organ, uh, which is creativity and sexuality. Right, so that's, with males, uh, circumcision, traumatize. It's a, it, we're in a trauma-based mind control system. Mm -hmm. So traumatize the male. Now with the female, then what's perpetuated is sexual abuse of young girls hmm. and young boys. I mean, uh, so uh, basically have children receive sexual abuse. Hmm. So the message is I can't trust whoever it was. I can't trust men. I can't trust girls or women. Okay, these people grow up. Natural sexual urges happen. They're drawn together, but, but there's trauma in the root. Mm -hmm. And there's this feeling, but I really can't trust him, the man. Or, and so, nonetheless, they have kids, and the kid gets raised up knowing, you know, they don't really trust each other. And then the kid gets traumatized. And so this has been perpetuated for generations. So I think homosexuality 
is dangerous, and I'm just guessing right now, because um, there is that empathy, there is that kind of, I don't know, because every, everyone is sexually traumatized, girls and boys, whether they choose to mate with, with uh, same sex or opposite sex or trans sex. So I think it's, it's just messing with the dominator system that wants to keep its lines of domination very clear. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's because I'm sensing a shift, like teaching naked men's yoga at a predominantly heterosexual males empowerment event this past weekend in in Hollywood. Nearly everybody was happy to be naked and to you know put their hands on their genitals and share their sexual energy with their neighbor. And Sasha said, you know, three years ago, or some one of the staff said, I'm so amazed how well that went because three years ago we would have never even fathomed the idea of of bringing you know, a queer yoga teacher to teach naked men's yoga at an event <laughs> such as this. And it went off pretty much without a hitch. And I actually had men coming up to me after asking questions. And we didn't do much of the semen retention, sexual transmutation, kundalini stuff because we didn't want to freak them out. But it turns out we did just a titch of it at the end and they were just loving it. And, oh my gosh, I've never felt that type of inner orgasmic energy. Can I have a private lesson? I've given a few private lessons to predominantly heterosexual males uh, after over the last few days, and it's been amazing. People are so open. So some sort of shift has happened. A big shift is happening, and the Infinite Man organization is so open. I mean, hey, they bring a crone in to teach sexuality. What's so, a crone? I'm an elder woman. Yeah, that's very Which beautiful. in our society shouldn't be the sexy one, right? Right. Right. Well, and I'm thinking of like teacher, I don't know if you know, like Meg Hickling, who was like a sex education teacher. She was elderly, but she was very like, sometimes she was sex positive, but she was very against anal sex and she was very judgy. Whereas you seem like very open and like wise. It's a different type of energy that I have not seen. Yeah. Well, I'm at the age where I have to step into the role of crone, of wise woman and mm. be a role model because that was another thing that was uh, among the others ones that they killed especially in the inquisition was witches. The, the witches right which was the grandmother which were all the midwives they called them witch midwives they were just the wisest women mm -hmm. who birthed all the babies in the in the clan or the mm -hmm. tribe mm -hmm. so of course they had to get rid of anyone that that wielded power but not the power of the dominator system mm -hmm. because as we become empowered, what we're wielding is our own personal power. Right. And people recognize if, you, if you're bringing something that they want or not. Whereas the dominator system doesn't matter whether it's valuable or not. They're going to hit you over the head till you accept it. Yeah. Right? So um, we're the voices in the wilderness bringing a new way of being. Or unearthing a way that was ex extinguished a while back. Yes, but we're bringing it, it's like 2.0. Right. Right, because we have evolved as a species right. into more, if you look at spiral, uh, integral spiral dynamics, which, which tracks history in a spiral from, you know, survival to tribal to warrior to mythic to rational to pluralistic, the, the, the quantum leap happens at integral, mm. and we're there now mm. those of us in the forefront are going integrally thinking which encompasses all of those below so essentially we've gone from tribal 
you and I are tribe because we have the same blood, mm. two, global tribal, mm. you and I are tribe because we share the same heart, mm. right? So, and we have technology mm -hmm. and we have, and we're developing our psychic powers and we're learning about not organizing in a pyramid, but organizing in a circle, right? right? Where we are each put in our piece but what integral does, pluralism, everyone has an equal voice in the circle. Mm -hmm. Integral takes another step forward and says, okay, and it's fine if you have someone like an elder who says, you know what, thank you for your strategy. Yours is the most appropriate, wouldn't we all agree? Mm. Because one of the problems with pluralism, I mean, every one of these stages of development development has its pluses and minuses and in pluralism and I know because I come from the hippie area era is endless processing where mm. we sit in a circle and well but his opinion is equally valid and hers is equally valid yes they all have intrinsic value but the extrinsic value is what is the most appropriate action mm -hmm. so yes everyone in the circle has equal intrinsic value of their opinion but some opinions should have more weight than others when you're planning action by the way sense. we just shifted oh thank you <laughs> keep shifting towards the flowers there you go oh. there you go perfect that's very interesting it's all very um it feels good to talk about and i'm i'm trying to think where we can take this because there's so many ways we could take it or directions we could take it and I, I just want to ask what action would you would you uh, suggest for listeners who want to make a positive shift in the world and want to be part of this change that we're talking about what would you say I would say what you said at the beginning hmm. which is go to your inner cave and meditate do your inner work first because all these, all this programming from the matrix, minions of the matrix, or the dominator pyramid, or however you want to look at it, hmm. can is only as good as we respond. Hmm. So clear yourself out, right? F figure hmm. out what's true, what's not true in your <laughs> in your life, and so that's first. And simultaneously. Do service. Nice. That's what I would say because that helps give you perspective on on really our human condition, and we're all just here trying to realize our divinity, mm -hmm. and we suffer when we don't know it. Right. And and there's so much suffering in the world, and there's so much happening in the world, and now what I'm saying to my friends who are also fellow activists or light workers or you know those of us who are engaging in this unfolding disaster on planet Earth, I noticed this summer that the planet was on fire. The Amazon was on fire, Siberia was on fire, Africa was on fire, the California Arctic was on, on fire, fire. California is on fire. And um, maybe it's time we really get our shit together, mm. right? And mm. really figure out what's true and that can that those levels of truth can unfold 
but it's time for us to repudiate the system that is killing us. What does repudiate mean? Repudiate means to disavow, to disengage. Oh, I like that, disengage with. Disengage, noncompliance. And I realized if you have a regular job, I like the word disengage hard. versus the word resist. Yeah. Because what you fight, you strengthen. So just disengage and then focus on what you want to create. Yeah, piece by piece disengage. Maybe you need to keep your job for a while, but piece by piece, where can I do less and less engagement with the system that's killing the earth until I'm empowered enough, while I'm doing my own healing, my own wounds have, are still running me. Remember, it's a trauma-based mind control system. So mm -hmm. we all have trauma, heal the trauma, become freer so that you can engage more and more in life supporting systems and life supporting initiatives because they're out there. We're here. Yeah. Promote what you love instead of bashing what you hate, but be aware of that dominator system so that you can um, see it as you can see it as contrast. So, mm -hmm. okay, so now what do I want to create? I mean, at the end of the day, we learn by contrast. So sometimes you have to learn what love is by first learning what love isn't. Right. And many of us are here learning what a happy life is by learning what a happy life isn't. Mm -hmm. But that's not fun. So the sooner we can get the lessons, the more we can move forward co-creating a new world. Right. So for example, I see like little babies being circumcised is like a violation as we were discussing like a, a damaging of their second chakra against their will without their permission I'm not against circumcision if like an adult wants to do it for whatever reason but like to do it on a on an infant that has no say in the matter of their own body to me is is a crime and so it makes me upset like when when a certain friend had that done to her son because and I, I was asking why well, because my husband had it done, so we wanted them to look the same. And I was like, that, that made absolutely no sense to me. So I was, I, I'm wondering, like, in, in terms of that example, would you just do you cast a spell on the, the one circumcision doctor in Vancouver? Do you know? <laughs> no, or no. Would, you like, how would you, how would you fix that? <laughs> no, I mean, I would do, if, if, I, if that were my passion, I would join the group that, that, that is educating about circumcision and get the word out in my whole circle of friends. In fact, I do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and see, I do. I post about it online sometimes, and then I get so much positive, but also so much like hatred. I'm just like, oh God, like I don't know if, like I just want to be the Michael Bublé of yoga and just sing, but then there are certain issues that I want to promote change on. So it's, it's hard sometimes because I guess you have to deal with the pushback. And for those of you who, resonate with this topic of circumcision there's a lot of help out there for recovering from trauma that you don't even know you have and uh, one of my friends piazza nico sif is working in that and there's i think she's making a documentary there's a documentary out about circumcision i can't remember the name right now but anyway the first step is get educated if, if this resonates with you right and then join the groups that are educating and putting pressure on public health organizations mm. uh, and some people are suing the doctors that circumcise them mm. and nothing speaks to that system like money right so uh, and so it is changing mm. because people care enough to do something 
and now with the internet you can find whatever you're passionate about whatever maybe it's like i really want to save the whales okay there's lots of organizations doing that and to mm -hmm. get online join one of those organizations of whatever it is that is your piece that you can bring i guess change. i'm just thinking what's the easiest way or like what's the less turbulent way like you're against it can is it to sue them or is it to do voodoo on them <laughs> or is there another or is it to do loving kindness i you know i'm trying to think what's the easiest most effective way like if you don't have a lot of money and you don't want to spend years in court fighting something can you just do a little voodoo on them <laughs> <laughs> well everyone has to respond with what their talents uh -huh. are right uh -huh. um I have never done that kind of magical work. Well, wait, I have. Mainly through visualization though, mainly through uh, a positive, like just envisioning and stoking the, the life-affirming vision. That's the kind of thing I've done. That you know, resonates with me, like the idea of like somehow coming more and more into the heart, uh, bringing a group of people together to, to, to bring this sort of compassionate, like super compassionate energy to whatever they're trying to change so much so that the people who are ignorant of and who are, no, this, we want to keep circumcising or no, we want to keep doing this. They start to like wake up through this power of love that's being sent to them. I don't know if that's like too Pollyanna to think that could be possible, but I like that idea that we could send so much love to a certain issue that it would write itself. Mm -hmm. That's uh, what I always say to people is there are some who are called to go into court and do a lawsuit. There are some who are called to carry a sign in the street. There are some who are called to meditate at their altar and envision a new world. So mm. find what gives you that satisfaction. But the point okay. is that the more of us that align to a vision of a just world, a just clean world, a just quieter world without leaf blowers and weed whackers, whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, the more that are holding the vision through action, through prayer. contemplation, prayer, the more energy there is for manifestation. The thing, the reason I'm an activist though, is that the planet is on fire and I don't know how much time we have. Yeah. So I like that mirror technique. Mm -hmm. So maybe like, yeah. We'll talk more off camera. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for all your wisdom and for your time and for being um, a light at this time on the planet. Uh, the world needs more people like you. So thank you. Yes, it's my pleasure and my mm. honor. And uh, if anything I've said resonates with you or you want to know more, mm -hmm. um, the website is venusandherlover.com. Uh, Yes, and Becca has, and, and her ex-partner created these beautiful cards. What are they called again? The Tantric Oracle, the Pillow Deck. Where can people look that up and get Venuscenterlover.com. Just, nice. you know, follow the tabs. And, and it know. can get shipped anywhere? Yeah. They're in beautiful cards. I highly recommend them. Yeah. Awesome. They're bang on, too. <laughs> Just like Becca. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. Have a beautiful day. We'll see you next week with more Urban Yogi Podcast. Satnam. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Urban Yogi Podcast. It is always a pleasure to share amazing uh, interviewees with you every week. Uh, we'll be ramping it up and I will be committed to sending you a 
new interview at least once every two weeks, if not once a week. So um, yeah, stay tuned. Please subscribe. Uh, you can head over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And this podcast is now available anywhere podcasts are streamed. I'm so grateful. Um, have a beautiful, beautiful week, and we'll tune in next week. Thanks again to Becca Zagani for being our lovely guest. And you can, again, check out her amazing work and her oracle cards and all of her books at venusandherlover.com. Namaste.